0: Welcome to episode 118 of The Search with Canda Podcast recorded on Friday the 2nd of July 2021. My name is Mark Williams Cook, and today I am bringing you the one hour part three recording of our e commerce SEO live QA sessions we've been doing with Shopify specialist agency Quickfire Digital. So these are LinkedIn live sessions we've been running, taking your questions about SEO. And this episode, we're going to be talking about content on e commerce sites. So we've talked previously about technical optimization and optimizing for products and categories. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about that extra content on your e-commerce site. So the articles, the how-to guides, the comparisons, the size guides, how do they all fit in, what's the benefit of them, and how do we optimize them? Before we kick off I need to tell you this podcast is very kindly sponsored by SiteBowl which is an SEO auditing piece of software for Windows and Mac. It doesn't quite do it justice when I just say it's an SEO auditing piece of software. Um, it's an incredibly useful tool I've used for many years um, at our Canada agency. Sitebulb have actually just released version 5 of their software, so it's a great time to go and check it out. There's brand new performance reports, you can lighthouse audit across every page on your site. There's performance budget reports, and if you already are using Sitebulb, um, as I do, there is a lovely new setup process for audits that is much easier, faster, cleaner, quicker. I'm a big fan of it. The great thing about listening to this podcast, apart from hopefully uh, you find it generally interesting, is there is a special offer for you with SiteBulb. If you go to sightbulb.com forward slash SWC, you'll get an extended 60 day trial of their software. You can download it, no credit card or anything required. So no excuse not to give it a go. They've just released this new version that they've been working on for most of 2021 apparently. So go check it out, sightbulb.com forward slash SWC
1: good morning and welcome to part three of our seo series with mark williams cook from candor morning mark how are you
0: morning nathan very good thank you pleased to be back for a third time
1: Hot three. Can you believe it? Right. Thank you so much to all of those that tuned in last time. We had some really great interaction. For those that are joining today for your first time, please do ask any questions as we go. It's a great opportunity to ask, Mark, any questions you've got around SEO for e-commerce. And for those that are back for maybe the second time or even the third time, maybe you've been to every single one. I hope you continue to enjoy them and please do ask your questions as you go. You will know by now, I dare say there'll be a few mentions of schema and a few mentions of a few other um yeah, SEO principles. But yeah, stay tuned. Um, keep asking questions. And if we can help, then just shout. But Mark, without further ado, let's get cracking. We've talked a lot about general SEO principles for e-commerce websites and product pages. And now we're tackling supporting content such as blogs, FAQs, and those other really non product pages. Where would you begin when it comes to SEO for these pages?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a really important thing to think about actually, because I think this is one of the the kind of biggest opportunities for search uh, when it comes to e-commerce. So if you actually think about, and you, you can think about if, if you're not kind of like marketing trained, just how about how you go about choosing and buying products, right? There's this whole, um, set of steps you go through and um if you know if you've done any marketing courses you'll no doubt have seen pictures of these inverted triangles of slices that say stuff like awareness consideration Um, and this is talking about all the stuff that happens before someone actually purchases something right so we set up our e-commerce site and To to be able to sell products, you know, we will have product listings with some descriptions about those products, and they will generally be in categories, right? That's roughly what an e-commerce site is. So say we, I don't know, say we sell like sports stuff um, and we sell like knee braces for running injuries, right? There's a whole set of searches that might happen before someone actually even comes to our site to buy. So they might you know, the first thing that happens is they have a problem, they injure their knee, right? And they're like, oh, my knee hurts, what do I do? So they'll Google things like, you know, maybe knee injury or or knee pain. And this is them at this awareness stage of working out, I have a problem, um, what do I do? And then they might find a page that talks about knee supports. And then they might Google something like um, types of knee support or what is the best knee support. And they'll go through that next step of um, so they're in this consideration phase now of looking at different types of knee support. And then they work out it's actually a hinged brace knee support that they need. And then that's the only then that stage is when they're looking at actually maybe buying a product and looking at, you know, prices and comparing brands and stuff. So. There's a whole opportunity there for you to build content at those levels further up. So, for instance, you know, you sell all these different kinds of knee braces. So, rather than just have the categories of different types. Um, or just listings of products, it might be worth you building a page that explains what the different types are used for, what they're appropriate for, maybe getting some experts to talk about knee injury, which could then take you that one step further up. So maybe get someone who's like a sports therapist or something to talk in general about knee injuries and even when a knee support, your kind of product um, is appropriate. And then you've started to open yourself up to, to ranking for all of this other content. And the great thing as well about that content is, because it's um, informational and not transactional, it means you're much more likely to attract links, meaning other people, other websites are likely to citate it, to link to it. So, you know, if you've done a really good page about comparing different types of knee support, that's a really easy thing to get links to. Whereas trying to convince websites or other people just to link directly to products, because there's an obvious uh, commercial benefit is very difficult. And there's loads of places you can get um, data about this. So uh, people also ask data. So obviously we've got our also ask tool. Um, Google suggests when you start typing, there's uh, answer the public, which can give you that kind of data. So there's loads of places to find what questions people are asking around topics. And the, the, the advice that comes out of all of this is you absolutely need to plan how that content is all gonna go together and how it's gonna be organized. The situation you don't wanna end up in is you have your e-commerce site and you just have a blog and then you're just like, oh, this week we're gonna post about types of knee injury support and next week we're gonna talk about insoles for running shoes and it's just kind of peppered in there. You need to have it in a logical uh, kind of structure that's that's permanently there so that requires some forethoughts and planning some keyword research
1: and what's the reason to do it on a separate page as opposed to enriching the existing product page and putting a lot of that content on the product pages
0: yeah it comes it comes down to um kind of the intent of the user so you know if for instance you're talking about um types of knee support and you've got you sell 10 different types you know that's not really appropriate to put on well firstly you could put it on every single um page but then you'd have an issue of when someone searches for types of uh types of knee support google wouldn't know which of those 10 pages to rank because you've created a duplicate kind of content cannibalization issue um and it's not appropriate to put on just one of the pages because it might not be applicable to all of them Um, And it comes down to intent, which is that people probably aren't ready to buy at that stage. You definitely should be interlinking them. So if you're mentioning products in that article, you could definitely deep link to them so people can just click to them. Um, But yeah, generally it it would be hard to come up with a sensible structure that works with all the different products.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Now, in terms of going forwards, most e-commerce sites have a blog of some sort what are the basics around SEO best practice when it comes to blogs?
0: Yeah, blogs are really interesting. So, when uh, when clients talk to us about blogs, I, the first question I ask them is, "What's a blog?" And it sounds like a silly question, yeah, but I say to me, describe what what makes a blog. And a lot of people struggle with this because you know, blog comes from very uh, you know term we don't really use anymore, weblog, which is it's basically just it is a web page, right? but it's generally just web pages that are posted chronologically. So it's very common, you have kind of a, you know, here's a March, 2021 posts, April, 2021. Um, And that has kind of been taken from a lot of people our personal blogs and put onto business sites. And um, it's certainly one of the things that trips a lot of people up, both in terms of SEO and, and actually the user experience, right? So how I think about it is this, things that go onto a blog should be, uh, they should have some kind of chronological importance to them meaning that they are more important at the time they were posted than they will be in a year's time. And examples of that might be, you know, company news is like a good thing to, to have in a blog section although I would be tempted if it was just that to call it news as opposed to, you know, blog. Um, And the reason for this is let's say, take our previous example, right? We did a blog post on types of knee support. um, And we posted that um, this month, great bit of content. It was top of our blog, lots of people read it because they found it on the site. In 12 months time, how are we gonna find that piece of content on our site, right? Unless it's kind of internally linked maybe in like the main menu, people will have to go to the blog And then they might have to look through a specific category on the blog and search that way, or they might have to go back through archives or paginated page sets. In other words, it's gonna be very tricky to find, right? So when you have what we refer to as evergreen content, which is content that is pretty much as relevant the day it was posted as it will be in a year's time. So things like maybe this article on knee supports, we would generally create a structure away from the blog about this. So it might be, you know, um, you'd have to think of a better name for it, but like a, I don't know injury support section on the site, if that's what we're selling. And it, it lists different types of injuries and then um, the, the articles, pages and assets you've got that, that relate to that. And that just stays there because then from a user point of view, if somebody comes onto your site and they want information about injuries, oh, it's there in the menu, here's different type of injuries, here's what's related to me, I found it. It's all in one place. That becomes much easier for the user. And as an abstract, search engines understand that those pages are more important because they're higher up in the structure of the site and they're linked to from important pages rather than being buried somewhere in the blog. So blogs, um, blogs can be helpful. Um, You know, we've just released this product, we've just hired this person kind of thing. for me is generally what a blog is used for if you're writing stuff that's evergreen you need to carefully think about how that's kind of linked to on your site and where it is i mean it can't you can kind of reverse it. you can do it on a blog as long as you have another page that links to all those posts so i'm not saying you can't use a blog what i'm saying is don't just chuck it on there and hope it's going to rank Um because not only will it not rank over time it, you'll cause you know, issues and friction for you, for your users.
1: Mark, well, question coming in here around creation versus curation, what's best to create a blog where you guys are talking about said topic, e.g. knee supports, et cetera, or simply referencing another article that talks about knee supports and giving some commentary around it?
0: it? Depends where you're trying to add the value, Like, and I know that that's the kind of the cliche response to SEO questions, right? So what you're trying to achieve with content, Um, The way I look at it is you think about what are we trying to rank for, okay? So this is the term and then you need to understand what the intent of that term is. And then what I want to know is do we answer that intent better than anyone else? Okay, so there are cases where it's useful to curate and comment um, on content, especially if you've got experts to do so um and there are other cases where you can just produce better content than other people so there are you know certainly if it's an area where there's already like huge expert analysis brilliant you know video content and all sorts then yeah maybe you need to take a different and you you might be limited by time or budget you may need to take um like a different Um, approach to that because there's all kind of different ways you can cut and spin data and comment on it um you have to get creative to do that um but i don't think there's an answer to is it better to create or curate it's you know it's what's going to give you the best outcome and what's achievable with your with your kind of resource
1: And what do you classify as an expert and how do you go about finding those? So let's take our knee support example. You now want to go and find an expert in the knee support world. Is there a site you can go to, to reach out to these people or is there a way to get in touch or is it simply just looking at other content online, finding the author and then some kind of cold outreach to ask them if they would be (coughs) interested in commenting?
0: Yeah. So I would, you know, I think an expert is pretty easy to define, um, in that an expert on say knee injury is the same person I would speak to is if my knee was injured, right? So I, if I was going to do that, I might, I wouldn't. There, uh, there's not a website I'm aware of that kind of lists um, different experts. Although maybe good idea, Nathan, for a side hustle there. Um, what I would do is maybe find someone that does um, sports injury, maybe does um, like online consultation as well, or something like that. Um, probably a bad example for sports injury specifically. But I would find someone directly like that, and then actually contact them and say, Hey, look, we're running this website, we do this. Um, you know, we'd love you to help us with this with this article. And there can be, you know, that can be mutually beneficial. So they're going to be obviously, you're going to be like promoting them as an expert. So it may lead to more business for them. And um, Or obviously, if you're selling products that are related to them, there's maybe like a deal you could do with them there. But that's that's what I would do. I would actually go to a genuine, you know, expert for that field Um, because we've done we've done various content collaborations. Um, So we did content for clients around things like mental health during lockdown. Uh, And we just reached out to people who did uh, things like mental health counselling and said, you know, can you give us your insight into what you've anecdotally experienced through lockdown with clients or, you know, um, just getting their opinion on the piece we were doing. And, you know, the only thing they wanted in return from that was to be mentioned, you know, in the article, because um, it's that's their research and their thoughts. So it works actually really well for both of us, because I just think you have to be very... Um, it's not even careful, you know, the the content of the quality of content on the web is quite high now, you know. Um, So just, you know, if I went off and tried to Google about mental health and pull together an article, it's like, you know, it's borderline inappropriate, because all I'm doing is stitching together other stuff I'm finding, am I? Am I really creating any new value? No, I'm not. So it's actually just easier and quicker for everyone and a better outcome to get experts involved.
1: And like, on the topic of experts, is it experts in the eyes of Google or experts in the eyes of the general public? Because I'm thinking, OK, let's go and see a knee surgeon who's based out in um, Great Yarmouth or whatever. Great. He's an expert, but his web presence is appalling. He's got no kind of yeah, value online. No one knows he's an expert apart from you because maybe you've been recommended to him. How do we then make sure that if we simply reference him online, that's going to carry any weight? Hmm.
0: That's a good question. So, I'd, I mean, that's kind of Google's problem, in my opinion, long term, because an expert is an expert, you know, and this this is the same. I would think of this in the same way that I think about the rest of Google's algorithm, right, which is there are certain there's there's a whole load of stuff Google asks you to do. There's guidelines and there's best practice and Google's good at measuring some of that and not so good at measuring others of that. And what you're describing to is essentially referred to as chasing the algorithm, which is when you know, okay, Google likes this particular thing, or maybe it's paying. you know, it's very good at measuring this. So we focus all our effort on that. And well, Google says they want this, but you know, they can't actually measure it very well. So we won't bother with that. What generally happens with that long term, is that we get these core updates like we've just had in June, and then suddenly your site plummets. Because Google has now fixed that technical hurdle or overcome that technical hurdle and they've worked out how to start measuring that properly and you don't have any of that because you didn't you decided that Google couldn't measure that a year ago or six months ago and now you're shocked that you've lost 30% of your traffic and your competitors who are quietly sitting there have jumped ahead. So long term I wouldn't worry about how good and you know what google can and can't measure because that's a technical challenge and that's one they're taking big bites out of you know every month week day um you will any but anyway if you get an expert to write content i guarantee if i got you to write about knee injuries right and i got an an actual expert to write about knee injuries they would structure the sentences differently they would use different words to you um there'd be a big difference in that content, which I think you would be able to see anyway. And part of the value is actually again having that authenticity to get links um, and be able to get people to reference that content, and you know users that are actually reading it to see um, who it's written by. So to give you an example, we're working with a client at the moment in the medical space, and one of the things I commented on on their they had a blog and they had like um, some medical-based advice on that blog. And the author was just admin. And I'm saying for people that just land on this blog post, they've never heard of your brand before, you know, how much would you trust medical advice that's written by someone just called admin? And that's all you know about them. If you, you know, if you wanna get the trust of these people, have a profile for that person so they can click on it and they can see what are this person's credentials. So, in answer to your question, if they're <clears throat> if they're kind of unknown online, that's fine. That's how you get known online. You start publishing this kind of content, and I'd make sure that alongside their article, I publish their profile and um, the information about their qualifications, credentials, experience, etc. But yeah, long term, it's not something I, I would I would I would worry about.
1: Very good. So, a question in from Fate Medi. I hope I've pronounced that right. Uh, they said we can't simply add value to every piece of content what are your go-to tips for planning content
0: um i guess my question would be why not why can't we add value for for you know all pieces of content if if we're not adding value through creating content why are we doing it you know be be my question um you know the the thing i try and nip in the bud about content planning creation is when when people start saying things like uh, SEO content or content we're gonna do for SEO. You know, to me, that's the completely upside down way of thinking about it. You should be thinking about users and intent, right? For your content, and then you shape that with SEO. So you say, okay, well, this is the intent we're answering, but these are the specific questions and how people are phrasing that. And our research shows that, you know, Google's showing images, so we need to include images in this explanation. And, you know, these are the related things that we need to talk about. That's the purpose um, kind of the SEO, of the SEO in that process. And, um, you know, if you're not adding value or if you create content, for instance, and you think, well, yeah, we're gonna answer this question, but the first 10 results in Google are better than you. They give more complete answers or better answers. Then why do you expect to rank? Would, you know, would be my question. Why would anyone link to you if they can find better content much closer? And this is the di- you know this is the difficult and hard conversations you have to have about creating content, which is that it's not easy, um, and it's not just okay. Well, we'll post a 500 word you know blog post every week, and then we'll get traffic. Um, A lot of the advice we give clients is around actually doing fewer posts, but doing a much better job of them. So I would much rather see, um, you know, one really well-researched, you know, beautifully laid laid out piece of content than four or five kind of rushed researched ones. So go-to tips with planning content um, would be to have what we talked about earlier, this understanding of the customer journey and the questions that they ask um, at each stage and where you're relevant in in that stage. And normally you'll start at the very sharp point, which we've already talked about, which is the the actual products and the categories and optimizing them. And then the next step up from that really is around information about your products, how to use them um, and getting this answer from, um, as we said, like Google suggests, people also ask, Keywords everywhere, all great tools to do this. And then, next step up is actually building articles around that consideration and awareness phase. So, I would normally plan from that kind of sharp bit of the triangle upwards, um, because the nearer you are to that, and the nearer you are um, to a conversion. And then a plan. So, this is really talking about kind of the content strategy. The plan is the governance, and that's the how much content do you, are, you, are we making? Um, who's gonna do it? When are they gonna do it by? And that's about looking at your resource, um, what experts you have access to, could get access to, what internal resource you've got, who can write for you internally, what skills do they have? What bits do you need to outsource maybe to an agency? Because it's very likely that you'll have a really good strategy, but in in reality, you can't execute it all. So you then just have to choose, This this is what we can realistically, execute and then you can get your expectations from the plan so again um don't get kind of content strategy muddled in with a plan they're kind of two different things you make your strategy and from that you make your plan
1: thank you mark question in from abby and i hope that's helped fatay let us know uh if that hasn't and we can come back with some more on that but abby what would your tips be to get images to rank better for search now if you were to tune into part two of the uh SEO for e commerce series with Mark and I. We did a little bit about this in terms of alt tags, etc. But Mark, just whistle stop tour um in terms of your tips to get images to rank better for search, please.
0: Oh yeah, now you're stretching me. So I would um, as Nathan said, have a look at the part two because I think I gave about 10 um 10 tips there. So the the basics were um to if you can avoid using stock imagery. Um, because Google's only going to rank kind of different images. When you do a particular search, you don't see the same image appear again and again. So if you're using images that lots of other people use, you're immediately um, at disadvantage. Then there's some super kind of basic technical stuff, which is around, um, you know, for accessibility, obviously using your alt tags, um, titles of the images, having them uh, be relevant in, in terms of place and surrounding text to the content, uh, the file structure as well. Google actually takes the folder structure, the URL structure of where the images are, um, as hints to 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 what's in those images. They've got image sitemaps you can use to help um, images be discovered. Uh, technical optimization, so um, compression um, of the images as well, um, and. Schema, of course, can't not mention schema. Yeah, so you can (laughs) ring the the schema (laughs) bell. Um, So um, yeah, you can, for things like, uh, you know, product schema, you can add in images and stuff there as well. Um, Yeah, it's all I can get off the top of my head now. Um, But yeah, check out out the last episode. We've got, I go into sort of about 10 minutes, I think, on images.
1: Very good, Abby. I hope that's helped. Uh, Please let us know. Mark, I'm keen to talk to you about subdomains. Um, now, some people on blogs use a subdomain, e.g. blog.e-commerce-site.com. Are there any issues around this? And is there an optimum setup for the URL structure? Should you have the blog on the main site or is there space for a subdomain?
0: <laughs> yeah, you want to get me in trouble here. <laughs> so, um, like, so, Yeah, subdomains are really, are a really interesting topic because there is two very kind of strong camps in terms of SEO, two schools of thought on them. So the official Google line, we'll start with that, right? So the official Google line is that um, it makes no difference whether you have stuff on a subdomain or whether you do not have stuff on a subdomain, okay? Now, other things that we know, just talking from, you know, from Google is that Google does have some, what they refer to as site-wide metrics for ranking, which is um, scoring metrics they apply to a whole website, which can affect how pages of that website rank. So we know that. The other thing we know is that there are lots of websites and I'll give wordpress.com as an example, that use subdomains that host websites on those subdomains that have nothing to do with them. So you can go to wordpress.com and you can set up, you know, Nathan's nathansblog.com. WordPress.com, right? Now, just because your your blog is on the WordPress.com domain doesn't mean that it's going to rank well. Okay, so what we've clearly seen there is that Google has decoupled WordPress.com from the various blog subdomains. However, things that are hosted in a subdirectory tend to seem to benefit from that coupling of you know if you were on wordpress.com forward slash Nathan I would expect you to kind of rank well and Google says that we try and we try and work out if the subdomains are kind of related to or they're part of the same site to the main domain or not now that already tells you that there's room for error that if they're making this calculation, and I have absolutely seen lots of examples of where people have migrated content from a subdomain to a subfolder and they have seen ranking improvement and vice versa. I do think Google's got better at this working out, um, you know, if it's part of the same site and if it really matters if it goes on to, onto a um, subdomain. However, where I end up with this is that there's no technical reason to have something on a subdomain. There's nothing that you can do on a subdomain that you can't do in a subfolder. Um, so, and the issue here as well, to be very clear as well, isn't subdomains because www. is a subdomain, right? And certainly www. doesn't rank any better or worse than just non-dubs. The, the the issue is potentially having things spread across different subdomains, um, which is where we've seen this 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 ranking um this ranking asymmetry. So you can, you know, if you if there's like the, the classic reason why people put things on subdomains is you can run things like off an entirely different server, for instance, very easily. Um so people used to do it like with forums that install like a separate forum software over here and run it through a subdomain but you can use reverse proxies and things to push these through folders now so from a user point of view you don't have to use a subdomain i try and avoid them unless it is separate so it's a very very long-winded answer to google says it's fine but that's one of the things that i would say yes it's probably going to be fine but why settle for probably
1: well thank you i love the reference to non-dubs that was a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love the lingo. Dan Connolly, question coming from him. Morning, Dan. He says, would you advise using certain e-commerce platforms above others when it comes to marketing in general? Are there limitations using, say, Shopify over WooCommerce? Does the platform even matter? And what is it sh- you should look for when choosing your platform?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, again, starting at the the kind of top from Google's point of view, they don't have a specific um platform that they prefer because it is that platform so everyone's on like a level playing field right and it just it just depends how that platform itself um kind of performs and over the years i've previously talked about how some of these off-the-shelf platforms will put you at um quite a big disadvantage so one um i used to and lots of people used to kind of um be very mean about was wix for instance because wix used to be absolute garbage for seo um they have completely turned things around and they made a lot of efforts now and now it's not uh it's not a garbage fire anymore um but certainly as an e-commerce uh e-commerce wise woocommerce and shopify are the kind of the two big ones that people use so they have they have again historically had some limitations um So Shopify have just fixed recently one of their um, headline limitations, if you like, which is that for years, you couldn't for some reason, uh, edit the robots.txt file on Shopify, which may mean nothing to you if you don't do SEO, but it's essentially a way of controlling which parts of your site get crawled and it can be quite important. And you just couldn't do that on Shopify, um, which, you know, was bad. Uh, meant you couldn't you couldn't do certain types of optimization, but they've actually just changed that around, um, so you can do that now. Um, same with um, WooCommerce. Both of them have their kind of foibles, um, and with with these platforms, it does come down a lot of time to what theme you use. So all of them have kind of uh, different plugins, add-ons, extensions, whatever you want to call them, and themes. And these are the things now that will have kind of the biggest impact of, um, of how well you rank. So to give you a specific example, Shopify, I think we spoke about this as well in one of the previous episodes. Shopify has um, in many themes this, this foible where if you set up a product in multiple categories, the way Shopify handles that is it actually allows the same product to be accessed through multiple URLs, uh, which is not great for Google. And Shopify handles this with canonical tags, which again is like a solution, but it's certainly not optimal. Um, You know, if you had full control, it's not what you'd be doing. And again, there is ways you can dive into Shopify and kind of fix that. Um, And the the other thing is to do with performance. So I've seen, you know, WooCommerce sites completely trashed because they've had loads of plugins and JavaScript heavy themes used, Um, same with Shopify, you can get really heavy kind of front ends for it. There's actually, um, you'll probably know this better than I do, Nathan, I saw someone rank all of the kind of Shopify themes by how they performed on Core Web Vitals, so that's Google's performance metrics. So they're the things I would look for. If you're using Shopify, WooCommerce, uh, Magento, if it's a bigger site, they're all you know, perfectly usable nowadays from an SEO point of view because I think they've had so much pressure from the industry to to get their stuff sorted. Um, but it's really just having someone implement that correctly because it's still completely possible to have a poorly performing Shopify site or a poorly performing WooCommerce site if the person building it, you know, doesn't know about SEO. Um, and that's just from a from a technical point of view. Um, from all the other stuff we've we started talking about in this episode, there's so things like content planning, you know, planning the main menu, none of that is done for you um, with, with these platforms. So all, all the platforms give you as a technical foundation, um, but there's still a lot of ways you can, you can muck that up.
1: Mark, well, question coming in from earlier on in this session when we're talking about those pages such as your knee injury support page, is there a minimum duration that we can expect for these pages to take to rank? Or is there something we can do to speed it up? So tomorrow, for example, we've listened to this. We thought, cool, Mark shared some really great tips. Let's go and create a page that's going to be full of useful content. Now, what do we do to try and encourage crawling to happen ASAP as opposed to waiting patiently in line?
0: Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of different things that needs to happen there. Firstly, as you said, the page needs to be crawled secondly the page needs to be included in the index so just because a page is crawled does not necessarily mean google's going to include it in the index and then you actually need to get it to rank right which is that's the trick right so getting it crawled is is fairly straightforward if it's linked to prominently on your own site it's going to get crawled if it gets indexed it's going to be down to quality signals so if you've just kind of copy and pasted a bunch of stuff from another site Google will probably crawl that page and be like, nah, I know this. I'm never gonna bother showing you the search results. So assuming we've written good content, it's gonna be indexed. Then how do we actually get it to rank? Assuming it's not uh, something that's you know, a complete kind of gap if you like in, in the search uh, in, in Google's index, we basically need to get some links to it really. So good content as well needs outreach which means it's all well and good, creating brilliant content, but you actually need to tell people about it. So this content should have an audience. There should be other websites where that audience goes to. So you should be contacting them, working out kind of partnership stuff with them, getting them to to link to it, because you're adding value. And that's what's gonna get you to rank. The other kind of sideways in, there's different things you can optimize for like featured snippets. So your research, where you could have kicked up some specific questions. And if you, if you actually optimize your, your content for those specific questions, featured snippets, the really cool thing about them is the, they're a feature added after ranking is done, which means that you, we've had feature snippets come up within an hour of posting content. Um, you can just leapfrog straight above everyone. Um, And we did this for uh, an insurance client we work with because we were competing um, against, you know, people like Money Supermarket, um, compare the market, like really big sites with huge SEO budgets for competitive terms. But we found a way we we could beat them for traffic was looking again at what really specific questions are people asking where Google's generating these featured snippets and just, leapfrogging over them and appearing for them for like loads of definition type terms
1: Mark when it comes to getting backlinks and and uh kind of endorsements from other sites Fateh's asked here around the importance of wikipedia is it still useful to have links and references from wikipedia is it not uh what are your stances and what camp do you sit in in terms of loving wikipedia not loving wikipedia somewhere in the middle
0: yeah wikipedia is an interesting one so all links pretty much as far as i'm aware from wikipedia have got a nofollow tag on Right, so nofollow tags uh, exist to or previously existed to tell search engines basically not to kind of count them in their algorithm so you're meant to use nofollow tags for instance if i say to you oh hey nathan can i give you 100 quid to put a link to Candra on your site and you say yeah sure no problem you're meant to put a nofollow link on that to tell search engines that this link's been paid for. So don't count it, you know, as like a kind of a vote for we want this, you know, you should you should rank this site better. So <clears throat> Wikipedia put nofollow links basically on everything uh, partly because it was being bombarded by SEO people trying to insert links everywhere, um, as it is obviously a very linked to an authoritative site. The interesting thing that changed, I think it was March 2020 or 2019, it was a March I think, it was a while ago now as well, I've Slept since then, is that Google changed how they process nofollow tags from um, what's called a directive to a hint. So a directive is something that they will always do and always obey. So this previously meant if they saw a nofollow tag they would never count that link. Since then they said we now take it as a hint meaning that even if it has a nofollow tag on, we may choose to give you credit for th- having that link. Um, and the reason they've done this is that lots of important sites that are very useful to Google deciding if, um, if pages should rank are things like you know, newspapers link out to lots of sites, but newspapers generally, again, blanket nofollow everything. But Google wants to count those links because they're not paid for. And if you are linked to from a newspaper, it generally means that your site is you know, at least interesting. Okay, so they've they've started taking this as a hint. Um, So and the thing that the other last thing about Wikipedia is it's actually very difficult to put links on Wikipedia because it is very heavily moderated. And if you just stick links on there, someone will be there very quickly to remove them. So um, if it's relevant for you to be on Wikipedia and you can get a link on there, I would definitely do it. And I would, you know, nobody can tell you 100% that it does or does not have value, but I would certainly say, you know, it's it's not going to be a bad thing having, having your link on Wikipedia. Um, if you don't get traffic for it, I mean, that's my litmus test for if a link is good. You know, if a link is good, regardless of any other metric, you know, um, domain authority, trust flow, whether it's followed, whether it's not if it's if it's getting traffic it's normally a good link if it is not getting traffic it's probably not not that good but yeah wikipedia normally is like a one shot you do your edit you you add it in and then the link is there for for life so it's a very much like low low risk low effort thing for a potential reward
1: mark the questions are starting to flow in now i've got one around directory listings and i'll come to you shortly but firstly to ethan good morning ethan he says hi both i'm looking at optimizing the speed of my website by lazy loading in certain parts and images etc will this cause any issues with the crawler and is there anything i shouldn't lazy load
0: yeah so getting super technical now i love it um So HTML5 does support uh, lazy loading of images. Googlebot supports lazy loading images. Um, So that's all covered in their web rendering service. So no, it shouldn't cause any issues. The thing that I would uh, think about, so the potential issue you could cause yourself is if you're lazy loading, um, you need to basically um, set placeholders for where those images are gonna be, because one of, Google's um, Core Web Vitals is called uh, Cumulative Layout Shift, which is CLS, which measures how much kind of your page jumps around as it loads. So if you don't have those placeholders for images set, as you lazy load images, you're gonna cause the page to kind of jump around as those images populate, and that's gonna lower your um, CLS score, which potentially could impact your rankings. So Lazy loading, no, it's been around a while, shouldn't cause any issues. Um, you can lazy load pretty much anything you like. Um, but what you want to do as a whole, as well, to protect the user experience is make sure the page is stable as that stuff's loading in.
1: Well, thank you. And Ethan, I hope that's useful. Fateh, thanks for your feedback. I'm glad you found that useful mark going back to directory listings within the world of e-commerce are there any particular directories that sites should be on in terms of improving ranking or linking to high authority sites
0: what directories do you use when you're shopping online nathan
1: amazon ebay <laughs> yeah uh, a lot yeah. Of marketplaces, google um google shopping but yeah apart from no. that um i don't really use directories to to shop yeah
0: i think that's probably going to be a common theme i mean the only time I ever look at directories, even now in terms of SEO, is for like hyper local stuff. So if we've got super local offerings, um, there's there's normally like some local directories you can be in. Um, but in terms of you know, in terms of SEO, like I rarely look at any type of directory now. The stuff you listed, you know, is where people go. Like you've got marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, things like that. You know, even Etsy, whatever it is, yeah. but. Kind of web directory sites that that's an are you know a relic from sort of pre search engine days isn't it um, yeah, yeah so I page. wouldn't I generally yeah I generally wouldn't bother with with directories unless there's something really specific to your niche um, or really specific to your geography
1: yeah fine now next one coming pulling this right back to content which is the, the theme of today is looking at tagging and actually uh, particularly with blogs a lot of people use these tags or like tag clouds and you have all these weird and wonderful tags and sometimes you just see some of the weirdest things tagged you know like <laughs> what on earth is the point in tagging air or red you like, okay this is bizarre um what are your thoughts on tagging marking can it be useful
0: uh generally i hate it um it's i'm going in there strong <laughs> um for the, for the for the exact reason you described right so generally blogs will have categories and tags, right? Categories are more helpful because like you said, they will have, you know, something sensible where there'll be several blog posts um, listed. Tags tend to get people just putting in random single words, you know, like you said, you know, air for instance, or something, you're you're probably never gonna rank for air. (laughs) You know, if you actually look at your Google analytics, how many people are clicking on those tags? You know, think about your own experience. When you look at a blog, you land on the post you want, how many times are you clicking on that tag that says air or e-commerce or something like that? It's it's pretty low, right? Generally, um, I just don't use or I scrap tags because you're, you're normally just creating lots of low value pages, you know, because what you're actually creating there is, you know, say we did one for our site and we just had, you know, SEO as a tag that's just gonna then give me a list of every page that I've deemed has mentioned SEO. It's like, it's not, it's not helpful for anyone. Um, so I just don't use them. And actually, I would go so far as to say, um, categories aren't always that helpful either. So let's take an example of, um, I don't know, let, let's say SEO as an example, right? Um, if I have an SEO blog, and I write lots about link building. And I think, hmm, it will make sense to have a category called link building because then if anyone wants to find any of my posts about link building, they can click on that, right? And this is where I would argue there's a difference between the user and the search engine because it might be helpful for a user to say, okay, let me just see everything in the category link building. However, if someone is on Google and they think I want to learn about link building, so they Google it, Are they going to want to land on a category page on my blog that lists a load of posts? Highly, highly unlikely. And a really good example of this is the Ahrefs blog. So Ahrefs is kind of a big SEO tool. And what they've done is with their categories, they've actually um, no indexed them. So they've told Google not to even index their category pages. Instead of having like a category for link building, they've made one incredibly big post about link building, which covers, it's like a beginner's guide, and it covers every kind of aspect of link building and then deep links where it's contextually relevant to the posts that they've done. So it's like a category page with a massive explanation as well. And actually, if you think, if if someone's searching for link building, obviously the intent for that search is very broad, but they've made content that caters for that very broad um intent and i think that's such a good way to look at it which is if you're creating content and you're thinking about categories is you know think about the last time you did a google search and you'd landed on a category listing page it just doesn't really ever happen so why are we making them so much you know we should actually be thinking about if it's a category level all it, it probably means is that the intent for that search is wider. So actually, we need to make more content to to cover to cover all those bases. So yeah, tagging is a definite. I just don't even get involved in it. Categories as well. It's a good starting place, but I would actually start to build content behind those 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 kind of category searches as well.
1: Mark, well, question in here around the blog content. Again, you you kind of some people will be going after all these helpful articles to try and uh, improve the experience of the user, uh, et cetera. Whereas some people will be wanting to talk about last Wednesday when they took to the, the team to the beach for a pie and a beer. Like, do you right. put it in the same place? Is there a way to differentiate or is it just as important to, to keep them mixed up? Because if you've got it in that kind of date format, you've got one article talking about the importance of knee surgery, The next article talking about how the team loved their five-side football on the beach. The next article talking about the right shoes to wear with knee surgery, All of a sudden, it becomes a little bit jumbled.
0: Yeah, so this is um, what we touched on earlier, which is I always separate um, content, which is essentially news, which is that it's important when it is new, why it's called news, which is, like you say, we took the team to the beach. We hired this person. We've changed this at our company. I separate that from evergreen content, which is, this is always relevant. So I think it's fine to have a mix of, um, like chronologically important, um, stories because you know, the thing you're most interested in is generally the latest thing. If it doesn't fall into that category, I'd have it somewhere else.
1: Fine. Thank you. And we say here, let's say there's a question a brand wants to rank for. Is it better to write an answer to the FAQ or to create a separate blog article in this case?
0: (laughs) Guess it depends how big the question is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's a a good answer to that question really. Um, So I wouldn't use lots of words where fewer words would suffice. Um, And again, thinking about user experience, if you're Googling a specific question as a user, I would much prefer a succinct, accurate two sentence response to having to pour over 2000 words Um, a framework we use for content that awkwardly falls into the middle ground of well there is a quick answer but with these caveats and we really need to tell them this is you might have like a QA type answer an FAQ type answer so the you know here's the question and here's the two sentence answer but here's why and here's the detail so you take almost the newspaper approach to writing which is you get the most important headline facts out in the first few sentences. And then you give the background story onto why, you know, you're not writing a book. You don't wanna have a slow build up to the answer someone's looking for. It's, You know, we've talked about it before in the other episodes, it's about um, time to result. So reduce friction, give people what they want as quickly as possible. And then if they do want the long explanation, they can hang around for it. So one or other or both.
1: Say I hope that helps now we've got about five to six minutes left folks in today's episode so please keep your questions coming in I'm going to come to you Josephine next uh good morning and thank you for joining us Mark Josephine asks is it enough to link to a buying guide from a category page of products or should they also be hosted within a guide section should guide pages ideally include FAQs and how should these be structured
0: so um Is it enough to link to a buying guide from category page of products or should be hosted within a guide section? I think the answer to that really is a, is kind of a user question rather than an SEO question. So are are people coming to your site to look at guides? Have you got enough guides to make it worthwhile having a guide section? Um, Is there any harm creating a guide section be my other question. So lots of these things, you know, sometimes there's no correct answer for how people use websites when you watch people in user testing. um, Sometimes I'm sort of scraping my jaw up off the desk, seeing how some people use websites, because it it just seems so alien to me, right. Um, But that, you know, that's, that's how it is, there's sometimes is no objective answer. So if you've got, you know, if you say, well, let's make a guide section, if you've got the content for it, and it's not harming anything, then it you know, there's certainly no downside. To that is only a potential upside. Generally, uh, from the SEO perspective, the more internal links or the more links you have to a page, the better. So it will rank better. Um, if it's got links from more uh, important pages on your site. Certainly, if you're doing buying guides, you need to get them linked externally from your site as well. That's like more important really than than everything. Um <clears throat> as to um, should Guide pages ideally include FAQs, how should these be structured? There is, um, so Google recently did a product review algorithm update. Um, and if you have a look at our podcast on search, if you just look for search with candor, Google actually gave, I think it was like 20 points of things you should include when you're talking about products, which is things like frequently asked questions, how you might use a product, how it compares to other um products things like that so they give you a framework for if you're talking about product these are the things we expect you to mention um how they how they should be structured in terms of faqs um i think you know the format of how they appear on pages is, is sort of fairly well known make sure you use the um the faq schema so you can get the highlighted results in the serp um and apart from that for econ pages you know While I don't use them as an example for many things, because they are such an outlier, um, I think Amazon's always worth looking at in terms of the information they provide on on pages.
1: Mark, thank you. And Josephine, I hope that's helpful. Coming to you next, Abby, um, and I'm hoping, Mark, the answer here is very simple. Is there a particular tool that you use for people always ask? Does it provide search volume? Now, I'm led to believe, and I do believe, you guys have your own tool. So perhaps (laughs) now's the chance to plug it.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we so we ran uh, alsoasked.com also asked.com um for a year in a public beta um, that's going to be launched next month now in july um so what abby's asking here is i think i think abby's asking um for search volume for people also ask which is the other questions that google shows um related to a search term and the answer, Abby, is that I don't ever look at search volume for people also ask, and I strongly encourage people not to not to go down that route um, <clears throat> because there's no value in it. And actually, um, I've seen people make very bad decisions because they're looking at search volume of, of people also ask, and I'll tell you briefly why. So in the um, Ahrefs keyword database, they highlighted that, i think it was 90% of all of the key phrases that they've got in their database have less than 20 searches a month okay and if you look at a if you look at a specific question in google's people also ask it might say if you ran it through a keyword tool it might say okay it's got 10 searches a month uh, or zero so you think okay well it's not worth doing but it's worth bearing in mind that's the search volume for that one question for that intent. So there might be a hundred different ways to ask the same question. Like, you know, uh, what is the best knee support? What is the best knee support website? What is the best knee support website UK? What is the best UK knee support site? You know, you can change the order of the words um, and they're all the same question. And they might all have one, two, five, ten. 10, 12 searches a month and by the time you've got 100 you've suddenly got you know this intent has 500 searches a month but because we looked at the keyword search uh the monthly search data it pulled in and it said zero we've discounted it and actually there is there is a decent amount of search volume there so we've moved on from google using kind of strings of keywords and um trying to trying to rank pages for a specific set of words in a specific order. Google's very good now at ranking pages that don't necessarily contain the exact query that the user typed in, but has the correct answer. So there's, you know, they had their birth update, which is all about them understanding the order of words and the question. You've got the mum update recently, which is about them understanding what other questions people might ask and all of these things are around. Google understanding the underlying intent of the question and not the keywords used. So, while keyword research still has its place and its use, um, and you know the only real time I'm using volumes is when we're making decisions about things like main menus and categories. When it comes down to if we should do an article or how you know um, how we should word it. I only use the keyword research data there for intent now. Um, I certainly, yeah, for people also ask, I would just implore you to ignore keyword volume. That's why as well, we, we don't include keyword volume on alsoask.com. We've had a few people request it. Um, I've just said no because I don't think it's helpful and that you're probably not using the tool to its best if you're looking at search volume.
1: Abby, I hope that's helpful. Mark, coming to the final question for today's episode, I blinked and an hour's gone. Uh, last question from us. Is there any other supporting content which can aid SEO efforts, size guides, about pages, et cetera?
0: Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> anything that's potentially helpful. So things that um, I've seen people do that have got traffic before that a lot of people miss is things like uh, voucher pages. So it's, if you've got a voucher code box in your checkout, um, it's very likely you're gonna trigger a search for shop name voucher codes, which normally then is gonna lead someone to a voucher code affiliate site where they're gonna spend ages clicking around, get cookies on their computer. They're gonna get a voucher code that doesn't work. And then you're going to have to pay your affiliate because they have sent someone that's clicked through, but actually nobody got a discount. So it's just taking them longer to check out. Or you might lose the sale altogether because they think they're missing out on a, on a voucher. So creating even a page that just says your brand name vouchers coupons. And you can just say, if you have any existing voucher deals. So you can just say like, for instance, there's no active voucher codes currently. Um, that can very easily rank. Um, and it can, it can basically save you that kind of conversion and save your user the, the hassle. Um, what I've seen other people doing as well is maybe, especially in the SaaS space is um, pages with comparisons to competitors or competitor products. Um, Cause in that consideration phase, you'll see a lot of uh, sites searching for like different brands or variations or alternatives. And I think it's important where appropriate to kind of approach those things head on. Um, the things you've kind of mentioned in the question there, I think you said like things like size guides would hopefully be um, things anyway that you're kind of including in that, um, what do we need to get the user to convert? Um, but yeah, any anything that's useful basically, I always come back to, you know, we're creating, we're trying to create value for the user and then SEO it. We're not trying to make SEO content for the site.
1: Mark, once again, a massive thank you for today. For those that have maybe not met Mark before or or not sure about Mark's agency, I encourage you to go and have a look uh, at his LinkedIn profile where he tends to post uh, daily unsolicited SEO tip. Mark, how many are we at now? 500? Uh,
0: Yeah, it's over 500 now.
1: Unbelievable. (laughs) So go and check him out there huge amounts of value. And in terms of uh, the agency URL, Mark, if people want to get in touch to, to give them some help.
0: Yeah, if you just Google Canda or Canda agency, you should be able to find us. Um, as I mentioned earlier as well, we've got a podcast called Search with Canda, which we run weekly. So if you want to stay up to date with what's happening with SEO algorithm updates, PPC stuff, um, each episode is of 20 to 30 minutes. And it should be nice and easy for everyone to get a handle on.
1: Very good. Mark, massive thank you. Neil, very good to see you. Thanks for your kind words. For those that have enjoyed it today, please go and check out the other two episodes, uh, part one and part two. We've got a part four coming as well, so stay tuned for that. We'll make sure to invite you on LinkedIn. But for now, from Mark and myself, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again.
0: I sincerely hope you enjoyed that recording. If you'd like to join us for one of the LinkedIn live sessions, just add me on LinkedIn. You can find me, Mark Williams Cook, and of course I'll post when one of these is coming up. At the moment, we're doing them every two weeks and it'd be great to have you. Next week, I'll be back on the 12th of July, so that's Monday as usual. And we'll be back to the usual show format covering all the changes in SEO and PPC. And of course, as of yesterday, we have the July core update rolling out from Google. So we'll be able to see, hopefully, some of the dust will have settled and we can see what's going on there. Apart from that, hope you all have a lovely week.